the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to today's podcast, sponsored by Hillsdale College. All things Hillsdale at Hillsdale.edu. I encourage you to take advantage of the many free online courses there. And, of course, to listen to the Hillsdale Dialogues, all of them at Q for Hillsdale.com, or just Google Apple, iTunes, and Hillsdale. Morning, Glory America. Bonjour, hi, Canada. Hugh Hewitt, live from Phoenix in the Alex American Legislative Exchange Council annual gathering on the policy that goes in to the formulation of state legislature agendas. We did this last year. We had a lot of fun. We'll be talking with a group of them later in the program about what's going on. Interestingly enough, Israel is on the mind of many of the delegates to ALEC, who are, of course, either state senators or state house representatives, and the people who answer to them. And they're putting together quite an agenda. We'll talk with one of the people who's trying to find a way to assist Israel in their battle of survival with Hamas. The latest update, 10 more hostages were released today. 10 more are expected today. There are only eight more children. And if those eight children aren't delivered today, I don't know if they get day seven. I really don't know. All I know in America, masks are dropping. And I have been gobsmacked by the Oakland City Council. Now, I know Oakland is a nutty place. And I know they've got some good people and some crazy people. But Oakland being Oakland, they took up a resolution yesterday on whether or not there ought to be a ceasefire in Gaza. Two nights ago, they took it up. I just read about it yesterday. A ceasefire in Gaza. Now, what exactly do you think Israel will attach weight to any resolution from Oakland? It's performance theater, right? It's theater by the left in Oakland. But listen to this from AP. Oakland City Council on Monday passed a, quote, carefully crafted resolution calling for a ceasefire in the Israel-Hamas war after hours of hearing impassioned rhetoric about the death of thousands of civilians in Gaza. The council in the California Bay, right, nothing about the 1,200 people who were slaughtered on 10-7, nothing about the remaining hostages, nothing about baby Kafir and his sister. They're called the redheads in Israel. The council in the California Bay Area voted 8-0 in favor of a motion supporting a congressional resolution to a permanent ceasefire. Before the council vote on that resolution, the council voted 6-2, to two to reject proposed amendments by member Dan Kalb that specifically condemned killings and hostage-taking by Hamas. Got that? That motion was met by boos and angry shouts from the PAC chamber. It was also met by impassioned testimony. Stupid testimony. And I want to play you just, um, how many, how long does this clip go? One minute and 12 seconds of idiocy, of idiocy that went on for hours from people. These are ordinary Americans, but they're left-wingers, and some of them are self-identifying as Arab Americans. Some of them are self-identifying as Palestinians. I don't know. I don't know who they are. Nobody knows who they are. They're standing up in a microphone at a public meeting, and they're saying things like this. Cut number nine. There's not been beheadings of babies and rapings. Israel murdered their own people on October 7th. Calling Hamas a terrorist organization is ridiculous, racist, and plays into genocidal propaganda that is flooding our media and that we should be doing everything possible to combat. I support the right of Palestinians to resist occupation, including through Hamas, the armed wing of the unified Palestinian resistance. As an Arab, asking with this context to condemn Hamas is very anti-Arab racist. The notion that this was a massacre of Jews is a fabricated narrative. Many of those killed on October 7th, including children, were killed by the IDF. An amendment condemning Hamas is bald propaganda meant to... Thank you. Your time is up. To hear them complain about Hamas violence is like listening to a wife beater complain when his wife finally stands up and fights back. Question. Did anyone else notice that those who oppose this resolution are old white supremacists? There's been a lot of atrocity propaganda ranging from claims of beheaded babies to mass rape. Hamas is not a terrorist organization just because the U.S. and Israel um, deems it so. Hamas is a resistance organization that is fighting for the liberation of Palestinian people and their land. All right. My number is 1-800-520-1234. one 800 520 1234. How deep 
is the rot in America. Those are random people who happened to go to an Oakland City Council meeting because the Oakland City Council was doing performance theater at the local level. It's like summer stock and way out of the place, you know, like Packard Music Hall in Warren, Ohio, where we used to get Paul Lynn playing Fagan and Oliver Twist, right? Bad theater with one name. There were no names. We didn't even have a Paul Lynn here last night. Uh, you know, I, I believe it is in, it's a canary in the coal mine. That level, they're not students, all right? They're stupid students running around campuses threatening Jewish students is something that was sad enough. But that level of ignorance and misinformation tells me that our minds are being poisoned by propaganda. And we've got to do something about that. While we get phone calls from me, 1-800-520-1234. I'm going to talk to play that for Dr. Michael Oren in hour two. Uh, I'm going to find out from Olivia Beavers. I'm going to talk with Lisa Nelson uh, from the Le- American Legislative Exchange Council. Danny Perez will be here. Tomorrow we'll be wall-to-wall with Alec Guest. Uh, we were out to dinner last night in Phoenix with some some of our desert friends, and we meaning General Ishimi who got over here. I beat him here. I came from D.C., and I actually got here before he did, and he came from, from uh, Orange County, California, and he took eight hours <laughs> to drive what is essentially a three-hour drive. And so I, what were you stopping in, in the, to go to the Grand Canyon on your way here? Well, the factual part of the statement you just made was that we're both here. Now, everything else beyond that is nonsense, of course. Let, but. let me ask you about dinner last night because my PhD, weightloss.com, is a sponsor. So I was keeping an eye on the scalloped potatoes because I had a very straight-up Caesar salad and a filet. We were at the Capitol Grill Great. in uh, Scottsdale, and it's a wonderful place to eat. Right. And so I had my, my filet, no side dishes, and Correct. the scalloped potatoes never made it past you. Uh, that's not true. No, I, I just saw them. They stopped dead, and then they were gone. Now, I might have missed someone getting a scoop, but the whole they were all gone, and the broccoli was untouched. Okay. One, we didn't get broccoli. Two... Well, I don't, wouldn't know, because I don't eat broccoli. We had something green was on the table. There was there was asparagus. Yeah, okay. same. That's the same thing. Yeah, that's like skinny broccoli. Yeah, broccoli and asparagus are the same thing, and anyone who tells you otherwise has never been to the Jolly Green Giant freezer in a supermarket. Uh, okay. Well, anyway, I had one spoonful of ah! potatoes, which is fine if you're not spoon. on weight loss. Yeah. You're on maintenance. Well, you can have. I maintained yesterday at 180. I've been at 180 since before, since middle of COVID, and I just stay there because I don't get that spoon out for this guy. It was, they were all gone. Would you call Lisa at myphdweightloss.com, 864-644-1900. That's 864-644-1900. Why would ask her how many scallops what? are in a Dance on the Angel pin. Who, who's Lisa? I thought that was Rachel. 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 Lisa's from Al. Oh, I can't say Alec. That's an acronym. That's, that's right. Then you'll owe $20 like Eric owed his $20. Do I have to, do I have to pay the Gallagher tip jar? You, you can give me the Gallagher tip jar. You see, last night, anyone who uses an Ackerman around me gets fined. And so Eric, the doyen of the American classical education renaissance, Eric Twist, used a term of art in the world of American classical education. He is, CMOs. Yeah, CMOs. And I, no one knew what that was. And Eric had to pay $20 to the charity of my choice, which will be prison... Tree Fellowship in just a second. Meanwhile, I'm putting it in my wallet. And I'm going to tell Gallagher, because Gallagher hadn't paid up, and he owes me about $4,000 in fines, does he, Mike Gallagher? Because uh, we hate acronyms. And he got called out by a bunch of people for doing it, because they know the acronym rule. And uh, his, his, his colleagues called him out. Everybody, his family called him out. Everybody called out Eric Twist for coming up with CMOs, which I still don't know what that means. Um, do you know what it means? Consolidated Management Operations. Chief Medical Officer. I don't know. No, it doesn't mean their schools are in consolidated. I I have no idea. Eric's a genius, but I mean, we still don't know what it means. In any event, I got his $20, and it's going to go to Angel Tree. Uh, MyPhDWeightLoss.com. Scallop potatoes should not be on there. Um, I want to tell you about Angel Tree. The $20 that Eric Twist gave me will go to Angel Tree Prison Fellowship, because that's almost enough to take care of one kid. So I'll add 5 bucks and send in another $25 to Prison Fellowship via the banner at the top of HughHewitt.com. Give a listen to Pastor Steve, why this matters so much in the lives of children who are separated from their parents at the time of Christmas. 
Sorry, I'm getting a little choked up here. This subject is near and dear to my heart. I love Angel Tree. Donations go beyond the walls of a prison to reach the family. And that's the heart of Angel Tree is those kids that are out there who are away from their parents during this time. This is a, a connection point for them to come together and just feel the heart and the love of their parent that's incarcerated. Not only do they get the present, they get the adventure Bible. They get a connection with an Angel Tree uh, prison fellowship volunteer, and they get the note from mom or dad about the present they're being given on Christmas morning. It's fabulous. You can call in a donation at 888-206-2764. 888-206-2764. Or you can go right to the banner at the top of com and be generous there. Morning, Laurie, America. Bonjour, High Canada. I'm Hugh Hewitt, live in Phoenix, joined by David Drucker, live inside the Beltway this morning, where I understand it's a very frigid 24 degrees this morning. David, thank you for joining me. Yeah, happy to be here, Hugh. It's a little cold, but, uh, you know, we're used to it. You work for the dispatch. Does the dispatch take uh, snow days or cold days? Do they say everyone stay home? It's too cold to come. DC doesn't work when it's below 30. No. No. No, no, no. I got to know. We're old school. We go to work. All right, David, fill me in first on whether or not the Tuberville holds are going to be gone soon. Well, this is the first time we've seen Senator Tuberville uh, make a move himself uh, or at least indicate himself like he wants to, to put an end to this thing. And it seems like and the reason I think it's, it's possible is not that he's backed off on his position, but that he, that he said he doesn't want to put his colleagues in a difficult position. So that sounds promising uh, for this whole fiasco to finally be put to bed. But, you know, we'll have to see how it goes. Now, what they need is a standing resolution, not a rules change, but it would take 60 votes. And that means at least nine Republicans. It would be best for everyone if it was 49 Republicans. How many do you think it will be at the end of the day? Because they're being threatened by the arm, the political arm of the Heritage Foundation called Heritage Action. It's being scored as being anti-life pro-abortion if they vote for right. it. It's stupid, but it, that's what they're being threatened with. No, I understand. I, look, this, this thing's hard to gauge. The, the thing, number one, which I, what I will say about the Heritage Foundation, it, it, is, it has moved more toward the populist right and is, is, is less, less more than its traditional conservative roots. So I don't know if, if, if Senate Republicans are going to be as concerned about its score as they might have been 10 years ago. You know, the other issue they're dealing with here is, as you know, Hugh, Whenever you open the door to a certain kind of tactic, uh, whoever does it first, <clears throat> the other side follows. And as Lindsey Graham said recently, uh, wait till you know the Democrats decide that because a Republican president makes changes having to do with promoting life, that they decide we're going to hold up all you know military promotions because of that. And th- this is just one of those things that when the commander in chief is of one party. We can't do everything we theoretically can do because it's going to blow back on us and get us into a vicious cycle. So I really think, given the players that I've seen talk about putting an end to this, that they could get, they should get at least half the conference. I don't know that they'll get, they're not going to get 49, but I could see them getting half the conference, maybe a little over. I could be off there. I don't have a, a whip count, but there's just a deep frustration and concern that the next time there's a Republican president, um, th- this tactic will be used by the other side, and I think they all want to squash it. Now, David, I saw on your bookshelf there, In Trump's Shadow, your magnificent bestseller from early this year, In Trump's Shadow, is about, of course, the former president in Mar-a-Lago. And yesterday, the Americans for Prosperity Political Action Committee threw in behind Nikki Haley. Is that enough to put her over the top in New Hampshire? Ron DeSantis is the guy who's going to take down Trump in, in Iowa, I think, if anybody does. And I don't think anybody can, because Nikki Haley's also pretty strong in Iowa. Chris Christie isn't competing there. Vivek doesn't have much support. Is Trump's shadow so large that it's effectively over already? Well, it, it's large enough that anything that happens to the contrary is going to be a massive upset or a massive surprise. Right. I keep telling you, don't sleep on Iowa. Ron DeSantis has a very good organization there because of Never Back Down. He now has uh, his super PAC. He now has two big endorsements, the popular governor and Bob Vanderplatz, who's batting a thousand in caucus endorsements over the years. Uh, But Trump's support is just very durable. And in fact, as 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 uh, strategists for competing campaigns have told me, his numbers are the best on the days that he's in court when you're looking at at daily tracking polls. 
The AFP endorsement of Haley is important, though, for her for one reason. Where she lacks is that deep infrastructure that can turn out voters. And even in New Hampshire, that can be important. So this this gives her some organizational muscle on the ground that she's been lacking to go with her momentum. And now it's a question of whether or not she can get close enough uh, to Trump in Iowa or beat him in New Hampshire or whether or not DeSantis can beat Trump in Iowa so that he's wounded going into New Hampshire. There's a lot of unknowns and a lot of maybes, ifs and could bes. Um, but, you know, we've seen primaries make huge turns toward the end. So I don't want to say it can't happen, but Trump is an unusually strong primary contender, almost like a quasi-incumbent. Well, he is a a quasi-incumbent, and it's just going to be very difficult to beat him at this late stage, but they're still kicking. And one thing we're seeing this time around that we didn't see in 2015 heading into 2016 is a lot more consolidation and players opposed to Trump at least trying. You know, in 2015, 2016, they didn't even try. There was zero consolidation. There's this time around been some, and we're seeing people risk uh, their political capital with endorsements and and things of the, of this nature that we just didn't see before. So we'll have to see how it plays out. Now, David, you will remember 2008, because you were doing this in 2008, when John McCain dialed it back in Iowa and told McCain people, vote for Mike Huckabee, and he won. Then they went to West Virginia, and McCain and, and Huckabee people said, dial it back, and McCain won. They played tennis together while Mitt Romney was on the outside looking in. Is there any cooperation between the three that matter, DeSantis, Christie, and Haley? I don't think so. I think the rivalry is pretty intense. I think, you know, if there's one fault in this, there's a little bit too much energy being expended on the part of DeSantis and Haley on trying to eliminate each other so they can have this clear shot at Trump. This is always a big mistake in my view You've got to focus on the front runner. It's the one thing Christie's doing right. I just don't know if it can benefit him. One thing I will say, I interviewed Chris Christie in New Hampshire in early October, and I talked to him about this issue of consolidation. This is before the vice pre- the former vice president, Mike Pence, had dropped out, before Tim Scott had dropped out. And I said, listen, you seem particularly interested in defeating Trump. Don't you have to get out of this race at some point if you're not doing well enough in order to facilitate somebody else beating him? And he gave me the scenario by which he said, and this is how he put it. He's like, let's say Doug Burgum, the North Dakota governor, was able to beat Trump in Iowa. I might have to consider getting behind him in New Hampshire um, in in order to help uh, put everything we have behind defeating Trump. So I think the candidates are aware of this. He's particularly aware of it. But I, I don't see any kind of cooperation at this point. And it's one of the, the problems they have is that they're still competing vigorously to be king of number two. And guess what? what? Number two gets you zilch. Let me let me play for you a, uh, a clip of uh, Governor Christie on CNN last night. Cut number five. I would not sign a six-week national abortion ban. And, and the reason I wouldn't is because we fought for 50 years, and we had this conversation a little bit before. We fought for 50 years to put this in the hands of the people. To say the federal government, in that case the Supreme Court, had taken it out of the hands of the people and given them no voice. Now people are having a voice, and we've seen it. You mentioned Virginia, Michigan, Ohio, Kansas. And one thing I know for sure is there is no consensus around a six-week abortion ban nationally. Do you think that makes her unelectable? I think uh, it makes it much election? more difficult in a general election for her. So, David Drucker, I, I think I know what former Governor Christie is doing here, which is separating himself from the field with uh, a great deal of emphasis separating himself from um, uh, especially Governor DeSantis and and to a lesser extent, Nikki Haley. What do you think he's doing there? Well, I, you know, if you follow Christie on the trail, he talks about his, his, his position, his pro-life position, actually rather extensively. And, and it's a pretty heartfelt discussion when he does it. But what he's trying to do, number one, is separate himself from Nikki Haley, who has the jump on him in New Hampshire and where, you know, he's put all of his eggs in the New Hampshire basket. So he's really appealing to independent voters in New Hampshire who can vote in the Republican primary or the Democratic primary for that matter. And, and this, you know, this sort of libertarian leaning Republican electorate in New Hampshire. And that's exactly what he's doing. I would add number two, that he's being consistent with the Republican position over many decades, which is Roe is bad law. It should be returned to the states for them to legislate and decide as they see fit. 
I'd, I'd say uh, number three, Nikki Haley has always said she would sign whatever could get through a 60 vote Senate, you know, plus a Republican House of Representatives. It's just that you're never going to see a 15 week ban or a 60 uh, or a six week ban uh, get 60 votes in the Senate. It's not going to happen. So let's focus on consensus. And finally, Ron DeSantis has never said what he would do. We know what he did in Florida, but he's never actually come up with an exact position about what yeah. he would do as president. So he's trying to separate himself from those two candidates in that way. David, I've got to take a break. Can I hold you for one more segment or you, do you have to go out in the cold? Um, what are we dealing with here? Uh, you know, Hugh, I have to go out in the cold. Okay, I, I wanted to talk to you. I we had dinner last with night. with a doctor's appointment. All right, we, we had uh, dinner last night with a bunch of people and all they talked about was crime, crime, crime. We had talked about Trump and the Republicans, but the number one issue that came up was crime, crime, crime. And what Republican is addressing that? I am I'm befuddled that Chris Christie is not running on crime as a former prosecutor. I just am. But we'll talk about that next week. David M. Drucker on X, the site formerly known as Twitter, with The Dispatch at thedispatch.com. He's their lead political reporter. He's always a great guest on the Do Yo Show. Thank you, David Drucker. I'll be right back, America. Stay tuned. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. If it's Wednesday, America, I must be in Phoenix at the American Legislative Exchange Council Policy Forum. You can read all about it at richstatesportstates.org. And Dr. Michael Oren, former ambassador to the United States from Israel, former deputy minister, must be in Philadelphia. Am I right about that, Dr. Oren? Did you make it to the city of brotherly love? Yeah, and I'll be in Denver today. <laughs> all right. You're not going to feel so good. Don't go to Oakland. I got anything to declare? You remember the movie Snatch? Got anything to declare to Ozzy? Uncle Avi, well, my here's what I declare. Don't go to Oakland. Oakland debated a resolution calling for a ceasefire on Tuesday night. And here's and then someone moved to amend it to condemn Hamas. Here's the reaction from the crowd, Dr. Ryan. I'll need your reaction to this. Let's play the Oakland public condemning the Oakland City Council for wanting to condemn Hamas. There's not been beheadings of babies and rapings. Israel murdered their own people on October 7th. Calling Hamas a terrorist organization is ridiculous, racist, and plays into genocidal propaganda that is flooding our media and that we should be doing everything possible to combat. I support the right of Palestinians to resist occupation, including through Hamas, the armed wing of the unified Palestinian resistance. As an Arab, asking with this context to condemn Hamas is very anti-Arab racist. The notion that this was a massacre of Jews is a fabricated narrative. Many of those killed on October 7th, including children, were killed by the IDF. An amendment condemning Hamas is bald propaganda meant to... Thank you. Your time is up. To hear them complain about Hamas violence is like listening to a wife beater complain when his wife finally stands up and fights back. Question. Did anyone else notice that those who oppose this resolution are old white supremacists? There's been a lot of atrocity propaganda ranging from claims of beheaded babies to mass rape. Hamas is not a terrorist organization just because the U.S. and Israel... Um, deems it so. Hamas is a resistance organization that is fighting for the liberation of Palestinian people and their land. Sir uh, Oren, when I heard this last night, I was so stunned that I cleared the first hour to talk about it. How do you react to that? I think it gives the uh, it gives the, the title Oakland A's a whole new meaning. Ha! Ha! Yes. But it's not limited to Oakland. Something has happened to the American information system to pollute so many people's minds into mouthing. I mean, you can come up with we need a two-state pollution, we need a solution, we need, a, um, uh, we need to condemn Israel for their policies of occupation. 
But to deny that the Hamas massacre took place is 9-11 denialism. Or that Hamas is a, is a national liberation movement and that, uh, that it's somehow linked to, you know, to uh, the fight against white privilege and white supremacy. Um, yes, this is madness. But it's not just madness. Uh, it is something very similar to what we saw in the 1930s. It is the mass dehumanization of the Jewish people. And uh, I, I think I said on your show the other day that, that in a certain way, the Holocaust never ended. Uh, because, yes, the gas chamber ended and Nazi Germany ended, but the conditions that created the Holocaust are very much still extant. And you heard it tonight. That's an example. Let me ask you a question. If, if tomorrow they started lining up Jews in Israel, 7 million Jews, and put us in gas chambers, would anybody, would anybody in that forum have said anything other than, wow, they had it coming to them, and perhaps this is even a good thing? And by the way, does anybody imagine in their wildest dreams that if Hamas hadn't been checked on the morning of October 7th, that they would have continued killing, continued raping, continued beheading until they had killed every Jew in the state of Israel. And that's 7 million. They would have outdone the, they would have outdone the Nazis by a million. And, and they'd still be called a national liberation movement by these people. So we're, we're in a realm, we're in a 1930s type movement. And um, to me, I mean, I, you know, I've been talking to you every week, several times a week from this entire trip across the United States, a month long, about 13, 14 cities. I've seen this across the United States, and I must tell you, Hugh, it's terrifying. It's absolutely terrifying. Yeah, there was a State Department official, I think his name was Breckenridge Long, during the uh, run-up to World War II, uh, that America wasn't in the war, who prevented Jews from getting out of Germany. He actively condemned Jews to their death. And I'm afraid in the Democratic Party, and I I know you're not partisan, so I'm going to say this. Joe Joe Biden is in favor of a two-state solution. But it's within the Democratic Party. He needs a two-state solution. He needs a two-state solution for his anti-Semitic wing and a, a, a second state for his pro-Israel wing. It can't be done, Dr. Warren. You can't reconcile these two completely. You're either a Zionist and you stand with Israel, or you are a, a, an anti-Zionist. And like you say, you're supporting a, a climate of hatred towards Jews, which I've never seen, and I'm 67. I think it's it's a state of, of not of a solution he needs. He needs a state of sanity, and uh, and someone has to come out and call this. And this is this calls for moral clarity. Always clarity, clarity, clarity. It's so difficult. It's so difficult right now. How is your uh, Substack doing, so, by the way? That's the name of your Substack, Clarity. And, and you're obviously in a hotel room it's somewhere. Well. People, so how do people they, sign up? It's for my that? late wake up call. It's your late wake-up call? late wake-up call. Well, I appreciate you're doing that. How is Hatzala doing? Because you're, Um, it's, um, and tell me the website. Is it IsraelRescue.org or RescueIsrael.org? It's, um, oh, this is doing wonderful. Hatzala's doing excellent. It's IsraelRescue.org. We had a major event last night in Atlantic City. That's where I am now. Uh, I guess they're not used to waking up people on time after they've been at the roulette table all night. Um, (laughs) So (laughs) I apologize for the late wake-up call. But they're probably going to do it again. Hey, wake up. Got to get down to the, you know, got to get down to uh, to the blackjack tables. Uh, but uh, amazing outcome last night. Last pouring, the, the mayor was there, the, uh, the assembly were there. It's, it's interesting, the interesting outpouring of, of non-Jews here. You ask me often about non-Jews contributing. I would say a third of the uh, audience there was not Jewish last night, including uh, African-Americans, people from different backgrounds. It was really quite moving to see that. Um, there to support the, the saving of human lives. It's quite beautiful. It's uh, israelrescue.org. You don't get to write anywhere else. I think it's IsraelRescue.org. That's exactly correct. IsraelRescue.org for people who want to contribute. Now, Dr. Oren, when you go back, what do you expect to find in terms of the emotional health of Israel? Because this has been pretty rugged stuff that we've been watching. I'm in daily contact with my family. And I'm in daily contact. I'm in not daily contact. Whenever I'm in contact, I'm in my assistants. I have three assistants now in combat. And I spoke to one of them yesterday has been 30 days straight combat, says that uh, Gaza is hell. And he's had four of his good friends killed right in front of him. Um, and he's a changed human being. And he says something else to me, Hugh, that, that disturbed me. He says, I'm tired. We're all tired. We're exhausted. And um, you know, they, I mean, I, well, it's disturbing because this, this war is far from over. And I hope we'll be able to ro- rotate those troops as, as quickly as possible. Because um, I've been in combat. I know how exhausting it can actually be. And how, you know, soul-changing it can be. I, I, they, they sound like different people. And um, 
we got a long way to heal from this. We have to heal internally as a, as a society, as a government, um, and, uh, and to restore our deterrence power also in the regions. It'll be very hard. Have you heard about this recent uh, uh, rumor going around that Hamas is willing to exchange all of the hostages in return for a ceasefire? Yes, and I think the Biden they're, administration they're, they're, yesterday tried to push that on Israel by putting out a tweet that said you're playing into Hamas's hands. Joe Biden tweet, it wasn't by the president, it's his private account, some staff from the White House, said Israel's playing into Hamas's hands. I just couldn't believe it. Well, last night at this event in Atlantic City, I asked the audience, this, this, I heard about this just before going up, and I asked, okay, say you're the prime minister of Israel, would you go for this deal? And everybody stood up and said, no, 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 no. You know, that was an American audience. It was very interesting. It was an interesting moment. Um, but there Hamas really is trying to get us. They're cutting to the quick. And this, they're making their ultimate move. And as I suggested in that uh, one of the, the clarity articles, in the, in the Sophie's Choice clarity articles, I say, okay, we say yes, but on one condition. Every single member of Hamas gets on a boat, right? Oh, yeah, I was just away. about to say that. You offer them evacuation goes to away. Iran. Right. Gone. And, and then uh, you go in and destroy the tunnels, you destroy the infrastructure, you put in place a technocratic government, as Naftali Bennett said on CNN last night, and the rebuilding of Gaza. But they won't accept that, will they, Dr. Ryan? No, of course not. But that, that should be our reply, though. And yeah. uh, otherwise, you know, it looks, hey, look, we're not getting this, we're not getting the hostages back. But still, it is an it is unspeakably difficult challenge for the state of Israel. Imagine, Let me ask you about families. today. You're going to have there, to face after saying no to that. Hmm? that. Today, baby Kafir and his sister, the two reds, they call them in the Israeli press. Yeah. Uh, there are only eight children left on the hostage list. There are 10 coming out today. If those children are not in that, do you think Israel ends the ceasefire? Because if they don't, that makes them the ultimate bargaining chips. Everything, every, every release raises the price. Every other race raises the price. And um, at some point, I've been saying this on, on, with you for now uh, at least a week or two, that uh, at some point Israel's going to have to make the Sophie's choice because Hamas will not release all the hostages. Notice he's not releasing a lot of Americans, too. He's trying to, they're trying to drive a wedge between the United States and Israel all the time. Um, is that uh, that choice is coming. And unless, of course, you can convince Hamas to get on that boat. Otherwise, there is no choice because you have to destroy Hamas. We can't we can't survive without you destroying Hamas. So it's going to be did, did somewhere along your, the line. It's going to be the hostage or survivor. Did any of your sources give you any idea of how long the war will require to destroy Hamas when the ceasefire ends? And I listened to Gallant yesterday, the defense minister. They're not going anywhere. They're going to finish Hamas no matter how long it takes. How long do you think it will take? Well, my assistants have told me that they're, they will be in the army to at least uh, to at least January. These are people who went into the army on October eighth, uh, so that is a long time to be away from your families and be away from your work, and um, and it's exhausting as you heard emotionally, physically, every way, and traumatic. So that's a long time, and I think that's just this this tranche of uh, of reservists. Listen, if I had my druthers, if I had my druthers, we would freeze the situation in Gaza right now, keep it in the status quo, and we would we would pivot north. Because I don't know, Hugh, I don't know how we go back to the status quo ante with Hezbollah. Well, I asked Habib Redigur about that yesterday. He believes that Iran has taken over command and control of Hezbollah to prevent them from doing anything that would trigger the right for Israel to go after them, although they've already done enough to do so. But it would be very hard, wouldn't it, for Israel yeah. not to strike first? I mean, to, to do anything other than wait to be hit one minute. Um, no, because we've been hit repeatedly. And it, it, I think there's every causeless belly in the world, not the least of which was that we know now what the terrorists can do to a civilian population. We know that no wall is impregnable. And if we don't do this, the northern part of the country is rendered uninhabitable. It's simply that. And um, I don't know whether maybe we wait until maybe the laser technology is perfected because we're going to be hit by with between four and six thousand rocks a day. That's the IDF estimate for what the what Hezbollah will hit with us. And maybe we need better protection. I don't know, but we cannot, cannot go back to the status quo empty in the north. In the meantime, America, if you support Israel, head over to IsraelRescue.org, IsraelRescue.org, whatever you can help. It's, it is the time of giving, and boy, does Israel need it. IsraelRescue.org, support United Hadzala. Thank you, Dr. Oren. We'll talk to you soon. Safe travels to Denver. 
Welcome back, America. Hugh Hewitt in Phoenix at the American Legislative Exchange Council Annual Policy Summit. It's being live streamed. States and National Policy Summit. If you go to ALEC.org, you can follow along the bouncing ball, and it's really good stuff. I'm joined by Olivia Beavers of Politico, because I want to shift back to uh, Capitol Hill for a moment. Good morning, Olivia. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Hi, Hugh. I had a great Thanksgiving. Thank you. Wonderful. Good to see you. Good to see you. Uh, Olivia, tell me a little bit about where the Tuberville hold is right now. Is it going to get resolved this week? I think this is a moment where it seems the most likely that it gets resolved in terms of being able to uh, break the military hold. Tuberville, in a, in a private meeting, basically kind of apologized to his colleagues for saying, I'm sorry, I put you in this spot, as as uh, Leader Schumer basically talked about finally changing, potentially changing the rules and moving forward before Christmas break. Um, that was their goal. So I think that he's looking for a way to address the situation. Um, and there's going to be about, I think, nine, you know, they need about nine Republicans to do so. And Democrats think that Senators um, Lisa Murkowski, Mitt Romney, Todd Young, um, Susan Collins, Joni Ernst, Tom Tillis, they think that those are the types of members that are going to vote to basically um, if they need him to, uh, you know, to, to get around the rule and, and move forward. The smartest thing, though, would be for I, I have heard this morning from David Drucker. He expects more than the nine they need. He thought maybe half the conference or more might vote for the standing order to allow the 450 military promotions to move forward. And that's the knock on effect that I wrote about for the Post this week of thousands of family members and and hundreds, if not thousands, of promotions that Colonel, Lieutenant Colonel, Captain and Commander in the Navy and, and the Army and Navy respectively move forward. Do you think there is a chance to get that many Republicans on? Because it's not doing away. It's not accepting the violation of the Hyde Amendment. It's not pro-abortion to do this. It's just sane. What do you think? Um, I'm not entirely sure what the whip count looks like, but I do know that privately the frustrations are maybe a bit broader than we might see transform into votes, which tends to be sort of a a thing we see up on Capitol Hill quite a bit. Um, But privately, there are a ton of Republicans who are very frustrated with the situation. They don't like the DOD policy on abortion, but they also are saying this should not be impacting our military performance and our national security, um, which is why you've seen some people really kind of start to speak out either privately or publicly about uh, Senator Tuberville's position. Um, One thing that we should be looking for is uh, Tuberville was sort of looking for an off-ramp with the NDAA, but after it kind of became clear that they wouldn't be getting a vote on the DOD abortion policy, uh, I think we're trying to be looking to see what his next strategy will be, because I don't think that he's done with this fight that he's just you know, so strongly tied himself to. Well, he, he can continue it on, but for one year standing resolution, yeah. we'll take it off the table. And I had Marsha Blackburn on the show yesterday, said she thinks it's going to get resolved. Ted Cruz on Friday on the show, or Thursday last week, said he expected it to get resolved. Maybe it was Wednesday. I think people, and, and Marsha Blackburn referenced a visit she had made to a military base in Tennessee. You know, these senators have now heard from everybody in their states on the active duty military that this is nuts. It's not pro-life. It is anti-military. And I think they're going to move, Olivia. And I just don't know when that policy resolution is going to come to the floor or if Chuck Schumer even wants to get it resolved now. I think that they're going to move quite quickly. um, My colleagues reported that Schumer was looking before the Christmas break. So I think we're going to be seeing that in the coming weeks and, and hopefully before the start of next year, um, they'll be able to have that resolved. And I I also do think that they will get it resolved, but I also have covered enough in Congress where I wait and something pops up and surprises you last minute. So I always get careful with where I'm going to put my bets. Leader McConnell yesterday said Israel aid needs to move without conditions. Is that the consensus within the Senate writ large, except for those 25 Democrats who signed a a letter yesterday? I just can't believe they, they want to condition aid to Israel. I mean, um, there's so many talks that are going on in terms of that, um, but we're even just seeing as early as this morning, um, Republicans were pushing for changes on the border. Senator Thune went and talked to the House Republican whip meeting yesterday um, to sort of present a broader idea. And I think Republicans are waiting to see what they think about the plan to have a more clear idea of the plan before they sort of respond. 
But Democrats are saying that they're uncomfortable with the um, parole requirements that Republicans say is a necessary bottom line idea. So they're very far from being able to move forward on a broader, you know, that's, aid that's a, you, you can answer this for me. The Ukraine funding is tied up with immigration reform and border strengthening. I thought the Israel funding was moving separately from that, or is it all one package? So that's how it was passed through the House. But um, they expect that, that, you know, Biden has said that he would reject it. He wants it more broadly to include, um, you know, Ukraine. They think that that's how they can get it through um, with Republicans. And so then it's now you're seeing it it being muddied in a broader discussion. Olivia, the president is pushing for a two state solution and it's not for the Middle East. It's for the Democrats. He needs one state for the Bernie Sanders anti-Israel part of his policy and Rashida Tlaib and another for the Chris Coons and solid with Israel Democrats who've been that way forever. So good luck to the president on getting that done because he's got a revolt on his hands because he's too strongly pro-Israel. Olivia Beavers, follow her on X, the site formerly known as Twitter. Follow her at Politico and see her each week here. Thank you, Olivia. I'll be right back from the Alec Gathering in Phoenix, ALEC.org. If you want to live stream all the Alec proceedings, stay with us. Welcome back, America. I'm Hugh Hewitt in Phoenix at the American Legislative Exchange Council, their annual policy summit. I'm joined by Lisa Nelson, who is the CEO of the American Legislative Exchange Council. I last saw her, I was wearing my tuxedo, Lisa. I never put that on. I put that on for Alec because I love Alec so much. And I put on my tuxedo and I emceed because I got to poke on Danny Perez. And that was fun, too. That was quite the gala. Is it that was. that way every year? I it's it's not every year. It's every five years. And I don't even know if I'll do it in five years. I did it in the at the 45th because it was my third year on the job as CEO. And I thought, what a great marker to say we've made it 45. And I thought, well, am I going to make it to 50? And we did. And this organization is stronger than ever. So to have you there and I squeezed myself into a nice dress too. So I, I mean, we dressed I, up and it was fun to do that. Fun. I've never been in that building before. Really? Uh, no, I never, and I've lived gallery. in D.C. since 1983, and I've never been in that building. Now, I want every state legislator who's listening to know they need to join ALEC, because if they saw this, they would know why. So let's just run through your agenda so people sure. who are maybe thinking about becoming sponsors of ALEC, if they come here, they'll meet everybody. Yep. Number two, a state legislator coming. But what's the first thing you're doing today on Wednesday? Well, I'm really excited. And when you talk about legislators joining ALEC, I think over 350 new legislators have joined ALEC just this year, which is super exciting. I mean, you think about 7,300 total legislators. And to have that, you have turnover all the time. So the content and the programming and what we put on as an educational tool for legislators is really important. Today, we are going to kick off with uh, Governor, former Governor Doug Ducey is going to open us and welcome us to Arizona. I'm, I'm I'm sad that he's not in the governor's office, but um, but he's doing really good work with his new organization. Um, but right after that, we're going to have a really good conversation about the balanced budget. Um, speaker Johnson, new Speaker of the House in D.C., is sending a video because... So as, Mike Johnson knows where it happened. Oh, huh? my gosh. Was he, he a state legislator once? He was a state legislator in Louisiana, and he was a member of ALEC, so he got trained and schooled up very, very well. In his acceptance speech, I was watching it, and I got chills because he talked about the seven things that he wanted to do. One of them was to establish this debt commission, bipartisan, bicameral, House and Senate at the federal level, but that would restore that balance of power and get the states back in charge of the budgets and, and balancing the budgets. So we're going to talk about that. The chairman of the budget committee is also sending a message. So you have the two leaders in Washington are finally saying it's time to listen to the states. 34 states have ratified this. It's time to actually move this forward. So there will be a really good discussion on fiscal responsibility, fiscal restraint, if we have to do it at our kitchen tables, don't you think, you know, Congress should, should do it um, in, in the federal government? So that will be exciting. Um, then at lunch today, we have Newt Gingrich, who uh, will be Newt coming. Newt is always a showstopper. <laughs> He is great. What is he, 80? He, he is, uh, he is getting up there, but he's as, as, um, smart as ever. Well, he could be president, unlike, uh, well, I don't, you're not partisan. So I'm just going to (laughs) say, 
Uh, he could be president. He's got the energy. To he be is president. absolutely presidential and um, has the foreign policy, the domestic policy, has the intellectual um, curiosity that it, that it takes Never to be stops. president. Yeah. Can you get him to talk about cash bail? I know you've got a seminar on cash bail, and I hope people listen. We've got to have it, and it's being ended it all is. over the place, and disastrous consequences. Catch yes. and release. The, it's, it's, it's scary to think about what's going on. And, in fact, we had our board meeting yesterday and talked a little bit about this. One of our longest supporters at ALEC, over 35 years, has been the bail industry. And they've been here working, oh, really? working with legislators. Um, Bill Carmichael from Indiana is just a treasured, treasured partner of ours and somebody that we've worked with. And they are... They are seeing this happen all over the country. I know you had a clip from Oakland um, of what's going on there. They're watching it happen. California is one of the one of the culprits, I think. But when you think about retail theft and you think about the fact that, you know, targets of the world are 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 they're calling it shrinkage of the market. But it's really what's happening is theft in their stores. The CVS in suburban Maryland before I left D.C. yesterday, I read my post and a suburban CVS isn't closed. It's empty. Yeah. Everything is behind glass. Yeah. Everything. Well, because they're going in, they steal it. They can steal up to $900. They go back on the street, literally outside the street, and put it up for sale on their card table and are selling on the black market. Then they go to the next CVS and and steal that. Because and there they're is not no holding them. Even there for three is, days. It, there is no holding them. They can they can do this and they know it's a racket. So I think that's that's an issue. Um, you know, a lot of people talk about it in, as it relates to crime. And I actually think we need to start calling it retail theft because crime is uh, kind of ubiquitous. Nobody really knows what we're talking about. Is it you know, is it is it rape and or is it something DC, it's else? carjacking, carjacking. But retail theft is really breaking a lot of our, you know, kind of, you know, bread and butter businesses across the country. We both live in the Beltway. You and I both live in the Beltway. Yeah. We've come out to Phoenix. Yeah, it's 24 degrees in the Beltway. That's my my wife sent me a note. Oh, Why am so I not so, in Phoenix? I'm and, so glad we're here. <laughs> I'm so, yes. glad we're here. so my question is, is, is do you go to D.C. as often as you did? We don't. I don't either. You know, it's interesting. We talked about the gala earlier. I hadn't been in D.C. Um, in probably two or three months yeah. before that. And, and you know, when I the saddest day of my life was seeing those fences up around the Capitol. And I yeah. thought, this is the people's house and there are fences all around this Capitol. Uh, I don't want to come to the D.C. area anymore. Yeah, it's a so. tough place now. And that's all because of local governance. And that is actually not a state problem. That's not an ALEC problem. That's, that's right. a congressional problem. Let's talk about ESG. You're going to do that as well. And that's mm-hmm. uh, the, 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 the great burden on shareholder value is ESG policy. We were talking about this at dinner last night. It is it needs a solution. And the People's Republic of China is winning because of ESG. What, what's the solution that you're proposing? We have a model policy that is um, it's, it's spent, it focuses on pensions and making sure that we keep politics out of pensions. And um, to our great delight, the ESG movement, through some um, really great support of some friends of ours, has really caught on. And I think legislators are starting to understand this manipulation of companies, manipulation or or um, you know cancel culture. Of you can't if you're doing this you can't do this and and our pension reform bill essentially says you've got to keep politics out of pension you have to focus on the fiduciary role. Um, we saw about 12 states pass this in 2023, so we are on the precipice of this. I think that we'll see a lot more states pass it in 2024. That's what you need to pass. What you need to stop is cash bail and ranked choice voting. I, I, I go to Maine in the summer. It is a nightmare. Yeah. Everyone from from Senators Cullen and King, and I don't know if Angus has taken a position on this publicly, but everybody hates ranked choice voting because nobody knows how it works and you don't know who you're electing. So the states have to stop it before it comes via initiative. I think that's right. And interestingly enough, when we talk to Democrats and Republicans, Everybody, like you're saying, does not like ranked choice voting. It is the far, far left that wants to basically create havoc in the election system. So um, we're going to see that. We talked about that a little bit yesterday as well. You're going to see Utah um, taking up ranked choice voting. You're going to see a lot of states focusing on this this year. We've had a session. We will have a session on it today. Um, and our legislators are eager to make sure that they kind of um, protect the integrity of voting and make sure that we've got a clarity in that election day. Now let's close on the thing I'll be talking about the most with your members. 
school choice. Uh, we are in Arizona with the best school choice system. 70,000 parents have freedom of school choice this year that did not have it last year. Doug Ducey will come and talk about that. They, however, have a supply side problem. There are not enough good schools. And the schools that exist don't know how to work it. They need CMOs. Those are charter management organizations. So what are you doing to educate your members about um, school choice? Well, I'm so glad you mentioned that. We are pulling together an alliance of all the organizations, the Education Freedom Alliance, that is focused on, and you talk about supply and demand, we're focused on making sure that all aspects of that parental choice and guidance is available. You can't pass the laws and then not have the schools for the kids to go to. Um, Arizona is ground zero because with a one-vote margin, Governor Ducey, Senate, Senate President Fan, Speaker Toma got that passed last year and the incoming governor Katie Hobbs said this if you know it's the first thing she's going to do to get rid of it I want to make sure that the kids are in some of those charter schools before she has a chance to to repeal this so that the students say to their parents please don't take my school away well, you from should me. go talk to your democratic members and you are bipartisan about how they yeah. manage to put things into law that you can never get out because people get used to the benefit and Enough parents in Arizona now have it that if you take it away from them, I think there will be a revolution. Uh, but we need the schools for these kids to get to. And so CMOs matter. Charter management organizations matter. How is the Education Alliance going to work? Well, I think there's a couple of things. You talk about making sure that there's the supply. Um, I don't know if you've heard about Jeff Yass and what he's doing all no. over the country. The Yass Prize is essentially millions and millions of dollars to schools that are innovative. They're not cookie cutter. They're all different types of schools, vocational, um, cooking, any any uh, occupation that you'd want to go into, he's providing and funding for schools all over the country to make sure that that supply is there. You've got Bob Luddy out of, uh, I think it's out of Georgia, who's who's creating schools. So there are people who understand that supply and demand. We want to make sure through the alliance that everybody understands and that we sell the win. When we get that uh, education savings account and that voucher passed in a state, make sure that the parents understand this is how you use it. This is how the funds can be spent. What do your Texas members say? Because they're having fistfights. Uh, not quite fistfights, but they are deeply divided in Texas over whether or not to put school choice in. You know, um, I don't know. There, Nobody's deeply divided. 86% of the people in America want the school choice. Yes. And the problem is that the Texas House doesn't understand that and doesn't want to listen to it. They're listening to the wrong people. The Texas Senate has passed passed a really good universal uh, choice bill, I think three or four times already this year. The governor is desperate to try to get something done, and he cannot pull those House members across the finish line. I think they just called another special session to yes, start this Friday. Yeah. So um, we will see. The, the big news, though, I think this week on this issue, um, Hugh, is that in Tennessee, uh, Governor Lee has announced that he wants to move this forward. We're having a meeting here just, I mean, while we've got all these legislators here, we're having a meeting tomorrow to make sure that all of the states that have the potential to get this done this year are educated and understand the ramifications. Well, I think they should just take the Arizona statute and I just copy it. it. It's uh, an Alec, I know it's Alec in Florida. model policy. Is it Alex model? <laughs> just happens to be Alec model policy, yes. Um, do you guys have a, well, I, I, we don't have enough time. We got Iowa, we got West Virginia, we've got Florida, we have Ohio, we have um, Arizona's ground zero. Arkansas. Arkansas passed it with Sarah Huckabee Sanders. It was um, there's two states in 2021, and then in, uh, another eight states in 2023. And we really, really hope, and um, uh, we we hope that we'll get 25 states by the year of 2025. Now, Lisa that's, Nelson, that's not Alec doing that. That's the state legislators doing it. People need to watch secret. tomorrow, 9:15 a.m. in Phoenix time, so it's 11:15 Eastern time. Watch at alec.org, alec.org for that school choice forum. Thank you, Lisa. Thank I you will so much. To talk with people throughout the day. I'm glad to be back at Alec. Thank you so much. We love having you with us. Welcome back, America. If it's the first day of my broadcast from the American Legislative Exchange Council, that means that Danny Perez, Speaker Designate of the Florida House, is with us. Speaker Perez, welcome. Speaker Designate Perez, welcome. We have two segments with you. One we're going to play tomorrow. So I want to start very quickly and, and not do our normal chit-chat banner. Danny, I love to talk about banner, especially about how the Browns are going to beat the Dolphins in the playoffs. But, Danny, let's talk about uh, cash bail. Uh, actually, let's start with school choice. We'll do cash bail tomorrow. Florida passed it. Is it working? 
It is working, although we've had to make a couple changes. Uh, you have to remember our goal. Our goal was to make sure that every child didn't fit within the same box and that a parent had a choice of which curriculum or which school they would send their child to. We accomplished that, but so did many other states. Where I think Florida was able to separate themselves from every other state is we were the first state that was able to mirror the policy with the budget. And that was important because we always had the policy, but we didn't necessarily have the budget. This year, we did the budget during our regular session to mirror our policy on school choice on ESA. How did we do that? We did two things. One, we took out what was called categoricals. So we were giving money to school boards based on the per-student ratio. But we were asking the school board to limit it to certain categoricals. So we were saying, hey, for school bus drivers, this is the money you can spend on school bus drivers. What was happening, school bus drivers weren't being used as much today as they were 10 years ago. So money was being left over, and they weren't able to go and change that over to teacher salaries, for example. So we took out many categoricals. That was number one, and I, and I think that was most important, especially in Miami-Dade County. And then second, uh, what we did is that we made sure that uh, all wait lists or caps on, student, uh, on, on certain groups of students were taken away. And what do I mean by that? When we passed our ESA model, our universal school choice, school voucher bill during the regular session, we put a cap on children with de- developmental disabilities. Ooh. And that was based on a budget, on the money that was coming in. Uh, and I, th- I don't think we realized how many parents were going to take advantage, in a good way, of the program of school choice. Well, we quickly realized we we reached that cap for those children with unique abilities very quickly. So what did we do? We went back for a special session, and we removed that cap. Let me ask you a specific about that. I had uh, many friends uh, of my kids when they were growing up who were dyslexic, and they went to schools that were specifically organized for dyslexic students, and they were expensive. Is that the kind of thing we're talking about? Absolutely. Assuming that the school were to accept the voucher program. Now, that's another thing, too, because you're starting to see uh, more schools are accepting the voucher program, but it's not all types of schools. And sometimes you need a specific set of skills on behalf of a teacher to attend some of As the with students. Yeah, that's what I'm, I'm working from. But it was expensive. It, it, it is. And, you know, I think the more expensive the school, the lesser chance they'll take the program. But nonetheless... At least in Florida, we're starting to see uh, an increased amount of, of schools that are receiving the voucher program. And when we're talking about developmental disabilities, we're not only talking about autism. I mean, we're talking about um, ADD, for example, right. ADHD, um, and, and, and all sorts of uh, autism on the spectrum. So some that are actually functional that, that you and I, to the naked eye, may not understand that this person is unique and has this, this de- developmental disability. They also will be a part of the program. You know, it's, it, here's, and here's really where... And this is a huge part of my platform as incoming speaker of the Florida House. My brother's autistic, so I grew up in this world. I know what this world is about. And I very rarely spoke about it, but you know, he still lives with my parents, but he lived with me until the day I left my house, which in the Cuban culture, we don't leave until we get married, so you can't imagine. <laughs> but Hugh, here's, here's, what was interesting to me is you know, the, 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 the sacrifice here isn't really the child. It's, it's the parents. It's being, being able to, to, to provide for this child in a way that you don't think you can ever reach because your hands are tied based on what God has given you. And when I'm watching that, my children, which I have three, a five-year-old, a three-year-old, and I have a four-week-old at home. Oh, okay. you got a vacation. I did, but don't tell my wife. You know, <laughs> She's I'll, listening. This morning on the way over here, she's like, how'd you sleep? I'm like, oh, I slept terrible. The truth, <laughs> you, I slept like a baby. I know. Oh, but gosh. Don't listen. Don't listen, Miss Brett. Don't do it. <laughs> so, 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 so I'm thinking to myself, Man, my daughter, five years old, my son, three years old, blessed. They're blessed. I'm so lucky. They're able to receive this voucher program, yet there's a child who's on a wait list that can't receive the program because they have developmental disabilities. I mean, that's that is that nuts. was insane. That so we fixed nuts. it, you know, in Florida. When we see a problem, we hit it head on. And so we were able to, to change it in this last special special session. And and, and I think it's How it's is the supply side of schools that are private? I had last night dinner with the CMO, uh, a, a uh charter management organization, and they tell me the back rooms of some of the new schools just aren't working as well as they need to. Do you have supply rising to meet the demand that, that 
it allows me to- we do we do we, we definitely do have the supply to, to, to reach the demand we're still working on the out the kinks on the payment you got to remember how the voucher program works and right now the procedure which i think we're going to fix it again by the way the way that the procedure works in florida is the schools have to front the money and then have to report the students that are receiving the voucher to the state in order for the state to reimburse now what's happening Ooh. some of these schools are smaller than others yeah. and there's a gap and there's a wait period and there's 30 days the and when vote is bad if you're small it is. It is. I'll tell you the most common ask for help I am receiving at my district office is the small school saying, Danny, can you please call and, and tell them to hurry up? Because I can't hold more than 30 days. Um, so we need they to gotta pay that. their staff. They got to pay their insurance. They got to pay their buildings and ground. I get the float. That's why payday lenders exist, but you don't want them going to payday lenders. Exactly. You, you want them to. Payday lenders are fine for certain things, but not for school. Danny Press, come back tomorrow because I talked to you about Coconut Grove and the NBC debate because I want to move to Coconut Grove. So we need a state bill to establish a radio studio in Coconut Grove. Don't go anywhere, America. I'll be back tomorrow from Alec, the American Legislative Exchange Council, with Danny Perez and other wonderful state legislators. What I ask you to do is go to ALEC.org and watch the simulcast. Watch the live feed, especially on charter schools, education reform today, and on stopping the ending of cash bill. Thanks for listening. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.